would do this. I wouldn't think about doing this. So you go. Make sure we have a home to come back to here. It's for now. Just for now. Damn right. Hey! We'll stay out here, we die. Hey, we did it. We got everybody out and We could have taken those walkers. We had a split-second decision to make. You made the decision. Stay as long as you like. So you're just gonna leave her behind? Again? I didn't say that. You tried begging for forgiveness after the shit you put her through. We go through shit to go through shit. <laughs> you're saying I should have just I'm let saying, her treat you like I'm that. Well, I am that. so, so sorry if I'm just not gonna sit here and take that. Things don't always work out the way you want me go. I never said they did. You put our lives in danger back there. For what? I didn't. Let's all just take a- No, 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 no. Our friends, our families are depending on us. She may not have anyone left to care about, but we sure as hell do. You, Miko. You better tell us what you're up to, and maybe I'll leave you here alive. Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, from Walking Dead Now, and it is my honor and privilege to welcome our very special guest, Eleanor Matsurov, who, as we all know, as Yumiko on The Walking Dead. Eleanor, thank you. Welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I really am. Wow, I was just watching some of those clips and thinking how much I miss my bow and arrow. <laughs> And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I miss that bow and arrow. It's been a while since I held it. We're going to get to that bow and arrow in a little bit. Now, when we first met Yumiko and your group, which includes Dan, Nadia, Lauren, and Angel, it was immediately following Rick Grimes' last scene on the TV show. Uh, did you guys shoot that scene after Andrew had already left, or was he still hanging around the set at that point? You know what? We shot it after he left, and um, it was very strange because, you know, I don't have to tell you guys how much Rick was not even a part of the show. He was the show. Yeah. And to walk into a set uh, where he was departed and kind of gone, I mean, he was – the the sort of remnants of him were everywhere. People talk about him. They still talk about him every day on the set, uh, from the costume to the makeup, like every department has so integrated with uh, the character, yes, but also Andrew Lincoln for being such an exceptional actor. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I heard about him so much, um, about this person that just wasn't there. It's like he was very much there, like in his sort of, you know, in the atmosphere and the presence in the show that I was stepping into. It's like the ghost of Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. Really, like the kind of this sort of mythical kind of like presence that still felt long after he'd he'd gone, you know. Um, but then he did come back to say hello. So we had a moment um, uh, a few episodes in where he came for a visit, um, and I remember it really well. It was it was a scene in in, in episode uh, sorry in season nine. I can't remember exactly which episode, but. Um, it's where me and uh, Magna and Tara and uh, uh, um, Angel are like going to take out some walkers on. Yeah, that doesn't narrow it down, does it? No, it's We're okay. Take out some walkers, guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, Andrew was on set and he came to say hello, and it was really um, trippy 
seeing him in the flesh after all of that build-up, you know, that, like, it, it, it's really strange. It must be like when somebody, I don't know, when somebody follows somebody on TV and you feel so connected to them. Imagine that times 100, yeah. and then, like, you meet someone and you feel like you know them. Wow, that sounds amazing. It was nice of him to stop by and, yep. you know, get to meet some of the new people that came on after him. Now, since all five of you guys uh, came on to the show at the same time, was there a special bond formed between you, Nadia, Dan, Angel, Lauren? Because you guys, plus Kaylee Fleming, all came mm-hmm. on at the same time. There really was. There really, really was. I mean, I can't, like, I'm not overdoing it when I express to you how extraordinary a time it was to to, to enter a show when their lead character has left. Yes, it's everything I just talked about with Andy Lincoln being so incredible and him being such a huge part of the show, but also, you know, what Angela had done with the show is pivot it in a completely mm-hmm. sort of new direction with the time jump and, like, this new group coming in. So it really felt like we were kind of riding this wave of this new energy that was coming in um, with still with like these connections and this like deep respect to the shoes that we were, you know, the the, the path that has already been trod and the shoes that we were trying to fill. Um, so us all walking in, it feels like first day of school. It's the only way I can describe it. It's first day of school time every time you start a new job as an actor. But you get to do it with these other people who's also having a first day. Yeah. So yeah. I really relied on on Nadia, on Dan, on on Angel, on Lauren. Like we became this kind of like, you know, we held on to each other for support and we checked in with each other and it worked for the dynamic of, of our group because, you know, in the story our group was also new and getting mm-hmm. to know everybody and he- hearing about these past characters. So it worked. The person the person who uh, I admired the most was Kaylee because Kaylee Fleming is a pro. That's, like, that's, you're not, it's crazy. Not, like, it's, like she, she walked on and the moment, I, one of our first scene that we shot together was that iconic scene where she, you know, puts on the hat and says, I'm Judith, Judith Grimes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And like no acting required, like all of us. I remember Dan turning around to me and he was like, whoa. And the Emmy goes to, you know, he was like, he was like this is a really special moment, y'all. It's like crazy. It is crazy. And I know Denise Huth, who's one of the executive producers, has said on screen that that was one of probably the best character introductions they have ever done. The best, like the best I just, I felt, I mean, I, even now, like my skin gets goosebumps just talking about it. Like she's really uh, an extraordinary actress, Kaylee. And so she, I think, you know, it was the mixture of her brilliance, natural brilliance and ability with the moment they created for her. Um, but she so effortlessly stepped into that role and like putting on the hat. I just, it was so trippy to be in it and also feel a bit outside of it, watching it going, Oh, this is such a cool moment, guys. Are you <laughs> too? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I feel it too. And it's like, okay, cool. Just because my skin's going all tingly. You know <laughs> I, I, mean? I totally get it. Now, was there anybody uh, from the cast that's been there a while that reached out to all of you guys to sort of welcome you, bring you into the fold in any way? Mm, yeah, you know, you know who really did that for us in in a big way was was Arvi, um, Arvi Nash. Yeah, uh, Sadiq. 
we we had a lot of scenes um, early on with Sadiq, um, and the way you know our our characters all arrived. He was the doctor, and I'd hit my head, and I had to go to the sort of infirmary where he was kind of monitoring all of that. And you know what? There's there's a bit of like a last person in first person out sort of um, system that happens on set, which is we. I think he must have been a fairly new character before we all came in. He was. And yeah. he had got, yeah, and he'd got in, he welcomed and um, embraced and uh, so kind of um, enveloped by the team. And he was like, it's my duty to pass it on to you guys and welcome you because Andy's not here and Andy usually does that. So I'm going to take you all out uh, for dinner and we're going to get to know each other and we're going to talk about the show and the scenes and... Um, and have some fun so yeah I really remember Arby like really really stepping up and taking that mantle and and we've tried to pass that on too you know like mm-hmm. um with Paula um recently like joining the show uh myself and Josh McDermott and um Kari uh all made a concerted effort and Lauren too Lauren Cohen um you know to take her out and welcome her because it's hard joining as a solo artist so even Lauren, who was on the show before, needed to be welcomed back into the fold? Say again, sorry. Sorry, even Lauren Cohen, who was such a big part of the show before she left for a little bit, she had to be welcomed back into the fold as well? Oh, no, no, sorry. Like I'm, yeah, would have been confusing. No, not at all. Like, Lauren Cohen, she's like, she's like, guys, I got this. This is my, this is my house. Like, not at all. She was, she was... Having Lauren back was like, again, it was trippy. It's the only way I can describe it. It was so wonderful to have her back. And um, no, she had that. Uh, what I mean is, is that she had that kind of old school, like uh, when Paula joined, even though Elsie had just come back as well. She was like, we got to go out. we gotta, we got to go for dinner. we got to take her out. We heard it was Paula's birthday when she joined. So we had to, you know, we took her out for dinner and Everyone just rallied round, you know. Everyone yeah. just wanted to, to to welcome to welcome everybody and sort of pass on the the baton of like um, uh, importance and community that I think that the show so wow. so brilliantly invo- like provokes. And that's that's beautiful uh, because Yumiko is such a valuable, loved character on the show and to hear oh. now that you've taken on the mantle of the welcome wagon for any newcomers is awesome now you guys were on the run since your own community fell when we first met you uh in your first scene yumiko gets hurt in the battle with the walkers you fall you hit your head uh after seeing a community that you were part of uh that you lived in fall what made you feel that either Alexandria or Hilltop can provide you any safety? What got rid of that skepticism? Well, this is not going to work. We already see this destroyed. How, how, how do you explain that? Such a good question, actually. You know what? I'm thinking more and more. I think it's about hope. And I think we see a lot in the Walking Dead universe, the characters that we're drawn to the most are ones that have this sort of hope and I think hope can sometimes be misconstrued as naivety Mm -hmm. and so we see it fail again and again you know people trusting people or people trusting communities that turn out to be bad or flip it on its head but 
But for that sort of small percentage of a chance that it's good and that it works and that humanity can be restored because they're living in this world now where everyone's just searching for connection still and everyone's searching for humanity mm -hmm. and community. And if you're really truly searching for that, I think there's risk involved in that. And so I think that truthfully, the the group that I came I came in with, yes, we're strong. Yes, we can fight. Yes, we've seen some shit and we've like done bad things and had bad things done to us. But still underneath it all, for Yumiko anyway, I can only speak for Yumiko really is like, she is hopeful that there is still goodness in the world and there is still uh, people out there that share the same values and have the same optimism and goodness as her. And if you don't have that, then I mean, yeah, what, else, what is yeah. the point? We're what, what what, just going to be a whisperer, right? You know, exactly. like, like just everything, like nothing means anything. So yeah. um, I feel like this show does that very well, like encourages the characters to kind of really show fundamentally what they stand for. That's, and I think Yumiko stands for hope. And I agree. I absolutely agree with that. We're going to take a video question now from our executive producer, Marco. I'm going to go ahead and play that for you right now. Hi, Eleanor. Thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, you were introduced to us in the fifth episode of season nine, which was very important because it was Andrew Lincoln's last episode. Now, do you feel that there was a little bit less pressure coming on the number one show in the world with an ensemble of actors as long as you came on with Dan and Lauren Nadia and Angel, or did you think it would have been a little bit more difficult if you were just been introduced on your own as a solo character? Thank you so much and stay walking. All right. Well, well yeah, I mean, like, as we said, we kind of like, talked about that. Yeah, I think it would have been so much more terrifying joining as a solo actor. You know, you come in with a little posse of friends. Okay, we'd only just met in real life, but you know, you, you're all in the same boat, so you mm -hmm. can share the nerves and you can share the experience. And as I said before, like all of that stuff feeds into the characters, you know, like um, the characters when, were like our group when we arrived at Hilltop, that's how, that's how we felt, that's everything that they felt arriving at Hilltop was how I felt as an actor arriving in Atlanta and going to the Walking Dead set the first day. I was nervous. I was worried about people liking me. I was worried about fitting in, making a good impression. You know, mm. it's all it's all part of the 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 journey, and it's great because it feeds into the to the dynamic of what we're trying to create. And so that's why, you know, oh my goodness, like I look at people like Kaylee, I look at people like Paula, and I'm just like, wow, to come in on your own and just hit the ground running in the way that they have is courageous and um yeah it takes guts i think it does now you mentioned this earlier your weapon of choice yumiko's weapon of choice is the bow and arrow mm -hmm. did the show provide you any kind of training on how to properly hold use the bow and arrow or was that a skill that you might have already had in real life yeah, I just walk around London like, <laughs> taking people out with a bow and arrow. And so it was lucky that I got a job where they... <laughs> no, I... Do you know, it's funny. I have been given a bow and arrow quite a few times over, like, the course of my career. People keep just, like, handing me a bow and arrow. They're like, oh, I guess you'd look good with a bow and arrow. And I'm always like, okay. Um, and it's become this weapon that, that I've... You know, many a job I've had, I've had to use this weapon. But obviously now on Walking Dead, it's like 
my signature weapon. Mm -hmm. um, and they have totally supported me um, with that. You know, in the comics, Yumiko has a bow and arrow, so I think they they, they, they stay quite faithful to that. Yeah. And um, I think I'd only arrived in Atlanta from London maybe two days before I was out, you know, fight training and using the bow and arrow and hitting the targets and um, uh, just kind of getting used to to getting used to it because you know with weapons on the show we have to believe that these characters are uh, have been using them for a while and it's their weapon of choice because they are naturally have an affinity with it or are good at it so I, I just was I was concerned about that. I wanted it to look like an extension of me, you know. So that's right. That's right. it doesn't matter that I hit, you know, a bullseye every time. That's, that's not important. No. What's important no. is that it feels like I can, I'm comfortable with it, and that I can um, kill a lot of walkers. Now being on the show for you know two seasons, do you feel a lot more comfortable with that prop weapon now than you did in the beginning? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I, it's definitely, every season becomes easier. I, um, I'm also getting kind of more inventive with it. Like I, I, I it was cut, I think from the, from the battle of, uh, Hilltop in season 10, but, um, I was doing a lot of fighting with the bow and arrow and, uh, and I got to film some really cool stuff. I remember Greg Nicotero was directing that episode and I was, we were choreographing some fight stuff for me taking out some walkers for that battle. And I was like, you know what, I'm just, I like, I don't just want to fire arrows. Like, you know, both ends, a big steel heavy weapon. Like it's got pointy bits at the end. I was like, I can like do it like this. I can do like that. I can like jam it up. And Greg was like, yeah, 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 let's do that. So we choreographed some really cool stuff. And I'm not sure it made it into the episode. In fact, I'm pretty sure it didn't, but um, it gave me the confidence anyway, to be like, you know, this is my weapon. And I will use it how I want to. <laughs> Do you and Norman Reedus have a little back and forth since he uses the crossbow, you've got the bow and arrow. Do you guys like have a little fun with it saying, you know, I'm a better shot than you? Okay, yeah. Well, you know, again, there was a scene that didn't make it into the show, but I think it, it's doing the rounds somewhere on um, socials and like, you know, behind the scenes stuff. We, mm -hmm. we, we shot a scene. It was a really unusual scene because, you know, um, Yumiko and Daryl don't cross over that much no. but we had this like scene just the two of us where we were both just like chatting and shooting arrows um it was kind of this really cool like quiet like buddy scene where we were just like venting our woes and like shooting arrows and talking about our worries and it was it was really cool that would have been um, great to see I'm, I'm, I know, I know. Uh, it sucks to cut that media somewhere i think i think they released the scene but it didn't it didn't end up making it into that particular episode but but we spoke about it a bit on set and and you know and and norman's vocal like when i first joined the show i, I remember him saying to me uh, a couple of times like just be careful like when you do that or or because you know i use a prop mm -hmm. weapon in the actual show which is lighter when i'm not firing it i can use the heavy one the real one but um if there's arrows in it, it has to be the, mm. the, the dummy one. Yeah. And Norman's quite good at giving me um, tips on like how to, because it's really heavy, so you mm -hmm. can't look, it's too easy to draw back. Things like that. He's, you know, he's a pro now. He's, he's a like, pro, yeah. He's been doing this for 10 years on the show. Oh, now, <laughs> now, Yumiko and the rest of your group uses sign language to communicate with Connie. 
uh, played by Lauren Rilloff, uh, and now Kelly as well, played by Angel Theory to some degree. Uh, how long did it take you to learn, and did you learn uh, American Sign Language uh, on the set? And an also follow-up to that is I heard that a lot of the other cast and crew were interested in learning uh, sign language as well. Is that accurate? So true. It is. Wow. Guess, guess, take a guess at who's the best at it, who doesn't naturally do it, but learned it really quickly. I would say probably Norman. Oh, interesting. Actually, he is good because of the whole Donnie situation. But no, you know who it is. It's who? Kaylee. Get out of here. You know, the younger learn so much easier. <laughs> legit amazing at ASL. It's just another talent that she has. Yeah. Yeah, and like it was no big deal. She was just like, oh, this? Oh, I know the alphabet. Like she picked it up like that. I've been like trying and studying for like months and months and months. And Kaylee just, Kaylee just got it. She was just like, okay, that's cool. Um, she's incredible at it. I love it. I am, um, I, oh God, Lauren Ridloff is, can I just say, apart from being just the most all round queen and excellent person, She's so patient with me. I'm constantly asking her questions. What does this mean? How do I say this? How do I do that? You know, and she's just always, always, always um, teaches me and uh, helps me. And because I think she knows also that I'm a keen learner. I'm not very good, but I'm trying. Yeah. Um, and she has two incredible uh, interpreters on set with her all the time. As does Angel, actually. Angel also has an incredible interpreter with her on set. And so they kind of, um, they're around anytime we're doing a scene, anytime we need to figure out how to communicate certain things. Um, is that your dog? Yeah. I think my wife just came home from work and that's why he's barking. <laughs> that was so funny because my cat was just about to jump up. If anyone's into this before knows that I have these two crazy cats that love to be on to love to be interviewed so gotcha. no that's fine if they come on that'd be awesome they always do <laughs> like watch out. so um but yeah i'm there i'm i'm a very keen learner and luckily both lauren and her interpreters are so patient and brilliant and like always will are there to like help and explain so i've picked up a fair bit um as we go along and i really I love it for so many reasons, and I, I, I really want to say this without, um, I hope, sounding in any way kind of like um, like trite or whatever, yeah. but like, put it this way, like, in the apocalypse, what a cool way to communicate yeah. that's safe, that like, it's such an incredible uh, tool, an incredible way, valuable way to silently communicate and safely communicate with people that keeps you out of danger. And we so saw just, and we saw that in an episode where Dan communicates uh, with uh, Lauren to save that baby that was left behind by the whisperer. Right. And you saw it a bit in the finale too, or uh, is that right? Or is it in the tower? You know, like when they were like um, communicating with each other, I think there was like, it was Aaron uh, was, was there and um, yep. Alden, yep. they were like communicating a little bit. And that would have all, like we talked about that. It's like, like, Connie would have taught them that. Yeah, you know what I it's, mean? it's uh, when they're in Alexandria and Beta and the Horde are down below and those two are up in the barn tower and they're communicating with sign language. Like, it's, a, it's an incredible tool to, to, to communicate. Like, in this environment, it's a weapon, you know? It's extraordinary. So, um, 
I love it, and I just I I I love it on a personal level as well because. Well, that was my that's my next question. Do you feel comfortable using it outside of the show if you come across somebody that you need to communicate with? I mean, at least to not quite. I tell you why. Because also, uh, ASL is different to BSL. Yeah. So some of the words I pick up here um, in London are actually completely different um, in ASL. So I'm kind of trying to learn too. Um, I definitely don't feel confident enough yet to like have a conversation with somebody, but I am going to try and learn a few phrases so I can impress Lauren next time I see her. <laughs> Did you guys miss Lauren while she was during her absence off the show? But glad she's back. Thank you so much. I love Lauren Ridloff so much. I'm actually obsessed with her. Um, she, I missed her so much. Everybody did. It was a real, she's really made such an impact on the show and not having her around, obviously for great reasons. Um, but yeah, it was, it was hard. But what was cool was that when I flew back to London, I got to hang out with her here for a oh, bit. Oh my God. I talked to so many Walking Dead fans in a day. And you don't, I mean, one person asked me, when is Daryl going to kiss someone? I'm like, I, I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. I'm like, we want Connie and Daryl. <laughs> Who do you want to see him kiss more, Carol or, or, or Connie? Carol? No, no, no. Con no. Carol and Daryl, no. For me, no. no. They're, they're, no. They are brother-sister. Yeah. Uh, that was cemented along. I don't want that. The vast majority of my viewers don't want that. Uh, they want Donnie. They want, you know, they want... Uh, that beautiful f familial relationship with Carol and Daryl, but they want Daryl to be happy in love. Yeah, yeah, they want Daryl and Connie to really, you know, and we know that Daryl does have an interest. We see him in the premiere of season 10. He has that ASL book in his back pocket, which shows <laughs> that he's making the effort to, you know, to communicate with her. So we're all hoping, and I hope one day to have an answer to the person who messaged me, when is Daryl going to kiss someone? I'm like, I don't know. I feel like telling you, Eleanor, please go up and give him a kiss on camera so we can put that issue to the side. <laughs> like, obviously nothing personal against Norman, but I don't think he's Yumiko's type. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> now, what was going through Yumiko's mind when she sees Magna walking amongst the horde in the Battle of Hilltop? Oh my gosh, that scene was crazy. Well, I'll tell you what, and totally honestly, when I read it, I thought I understood it in the sense of, I, I knew exactly how I wanted to play it. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so I know Magna's been missing. I know that I'm worried about her. I know we left things badly. I know, um, I know how we're going to play it. I know how I'm going to feel about this scene. Um, and I asked again, Greg was uh, directing that episode. And so I asked Greg if I could not see Nadia before we shot the scene. So that's kind of, often a little bit awkward to do because you know in between shots all the actors are like hanging around set and like um you know we're, we're, we're talking and milling about but i just thought you know what i haven't seen her for so long like in life and also as characters in the show i was like let's i'm just gonna let's just not look at each other until the shot and see what see what that brings up um so i knew like my practical actor head knew that nadia would be in a lot of makeup. I knew she'd look a certain way because she'd been in, in, a, in the cave and she'd been there for a long time and she'd be 
pretty busted and like haunted from from that. Um, but apart from that, I really had no idea what she was going to look like. So it adds a it adds a layer of authenticity to your reaction. Oh my gosh, I have to say, slightly embarrassingly, I didn't realize this layer. So when we shot that scene and I saw her walking towards us with all the walkers, I thought for a second, oh, she got bit and she's now a walker. Wow. And I, I hadn't fully comprehended that layer when I was preparing to do the thing. You know what I mean? I, I was like preparing to like see her and not having seen her for a while, but I hadn't fully understood that actually she might she might not be okay. Like she really might be have have turned. Mm-hmm. And I fully realized it in that moment and I'm so pleased that we, we we saved it for the shot because I think we did it in, a t- in one take. I don't think we had to do it again. Greg was like, we got it. We're moving on. So I was like, yes. I'm so pleased because it was worth the, it was yeah. worth the sort of awkwardness and the extra effort to make sure that we got that scene. And you guys got it spot on. Let me tell you that from a fan's perspective. Now let's go to a question from uh, one of our viewers. CC Weezy on YouTube wants to know, do you think Yumiko and Magna will ever reconcile their relationship or will they just leave it in the past and move on? I don't know. That's my honest answer. I'm not trying to be clever. Oh, no, no. I just, yeah. I don't know. I, I think for so long I was um, completely married to the idea of Magna being my my person. Um, that's how we entered the show. Is this really tight unit, and everything I kind of built Yumiko around was like around this idea that she was together with Magna. But but now that we've kind of come apart, I actually think it's more realistic, and I actually think it's more representative of real relationships in the world, which is like real relationships in the world. You know, they don't always go skipping off into the sunset. Yeah, real relationships are full of contradictions and still full of love and can still not necessarily work out. So mm-hmm. I feel where we leave Yumiko in season 10, mm-hmm. she's so far apart from Magna at this point. I just don't know if, I, I just don't know. Like, I think she really wants to see her again. And I think there's still a huge amount of love there. Do I think they're meant to be together forever? I don't know. I'm open to it. I'm like, I'm open to it, but I'm not convinced. Yeah, well, let's see what the writers come up with. It'll be fascinating to see where they decide to take it. Now, you shared some amazing scenes with Nadia. I know that Michael Cudlitz, who was one of our guests Mm -hmm. earlier this year, directed one of those episodes. He told us that his approach in directing the the moment between Yumiko and uh, Nadia he just let the actors do their thing. Is that how you remember it? Him doing it from behind the camera and just letting you guys work the scene the way you wanted to work the scene? Yeah, I do, actually. He, he, you know, Michael is an incredible director. Like, first and foremost, he is such a good director. I knew him, of course, through the show as an actor. Mm-hmm. To work with him is super special because he not only is a brilliant director in his own right, but he's also approaching it from an actor's point of view. And, you know, he knows what it's like to be standing in the shoes where you are. So he has a great way of talking um, to us. And for a scene, particularly like intimate scenes that I had with, uh, with Nadia, you know, there's vulnerability there that needs to, that needs to be there. 
Like we need to cherish the vulnerability that's in that scene to make it work. Um, we also need to feel safe. So he manages to create a space that holds those two things at the same time. And um, yeah, I felt like he really made the entire set, the entire space safe. He made me feel really good about um, and like confident about what I was doing. And then he stepped back and he was like, you guys just do what you want to do. And I remember, I think we, I think me and Nadia played music. I think I said like, oh gosh, you know, I remember for one particularly intimate scene, I was like, oh, God, this is so awkward. Like, all like, there's not many crew because it's like a closed set. But like, it's like twelve of us standing in a room and it's all silent and we're trying to have this like, you know, intimate, quiet moment. I was like, come on, guys, guys, can we just play some music? Can we just play some music and everyone can just chill? And Mike was like, yeah, sure, sure, like, let's play some music. So we, somebody came in and, like, set up the music system and we had some, like, chill tunes playing so we could just, you know, ease into it. Well, that's, that was, a, that's a great story. Yeah. Uh, that's a great story. Michael is an amazing person. He's just oh. he's just one of a kind. Uh, yeah. Now, with the absence of Deny, do you feel that Yumiko is being set up to step into the role of Michonne? moving to, into the last two years of The Walking Dead. Do you feel that, you know, I mean, uh, you don't know, just guessing. Do you feel like they may be setting up Yumiko to step into Michonne's shoes? Uh, you know what? Because uh, this question's come up before, and, and yeah, you're right. Like, f first and foremost, I really don't know. Oh, no. Like, but here's how I feel about it, and it's it's mixed feelings. Um, first of all, the I'm slightly in love with Denai Guerrero. <laughs> like, well, a lot of people are, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. she, she's what she she's did awesome. on the show, what she did, like her arc with Michonne. She was the first kind of big character that, um, of course, Yumiko meets on the show and like mm. interacts with on the show. So, um, again, not just uh, as Yumiko, but like personally as an actor on the show. She was the person that kind of was leading by example, and I really like watched her, and I was just so in awe of of, of her work and how she is as a person, um, Offset too. So, so to even kind of be, uh, and I mean this genuinely from my heart, like even even to sort of be kind of characters and stories aligned with with her in this universe is like potentially kind of stepping into her storyline is is an incredible. Uh, honor for me and and I'm like whoa that would be that would be kind of insane um story-wise yeah it makes sense it makes total sense um you know we revealed that Yumiko was a lawyer if you follow the comics mm -hmm. um we know that Michonne was a lawyer you were Magna's um, lawyer I was Magna's lawyer exactly yeah, yeah. So kind, of of kind of unprofessional right there getting involved with your client <laughs> mean um <laughs> i don't know what you're referring to yeah no yes like lines were definitely preached um <clears throat> I, have, I think they have similarities in a lot of ways actually um yumiko and michonne so and that's not me trying to be mysterious like i think there are uh, that's all i know oh no, i know i totally believe that's why i'm asking the question because i know you don't you probably don't know yeah now, yeah. yeah now we as viewers don't get to see how Yumiko becomes the sort of de facto leader of Hilltop. Uh, there are some little minor time jumps between seasons nine and 10 and so on. 
Uh, did the writers ever come up to you and explain, okay, during this time period that is not being filmed, this is what happened, and this is how Yumiko became the leader of Hilltop at the moment? Because we don't see that. We don't know how it happened. Honestly, I never felt like I was the leader of Hilltop. It's, it's, it's something that's been a bit vague um, and I think has been uh, maybe taken out of context a little bit. Like my my conversation, I had one conversation about it with, with Angela. And uh, Angela sort of said to me, look, you know, like at the moment with the huge loss that had happened at the end of season nine with, you know, the heads on spikes and that devastating episode um, in episode 15 of of the ninth season, there's all these sorts of gaps and these holes had been left in the communities. And it becomes a bit of a chess piece of like who wants to fill that role. And I think with Hilltop, it wasn't so much that like, oh, Yumiko's a natural leader. She's now that, you know, they've mm-hmm. appointed her the leader of Hilltop. I kind of just think it was like, no one else is around. And people people do- aren't taking the reins. Yumiko is a really good organizer and she's very practical and pragmatic and headstrong. And she was just like, I'm just going to get on with organizing stuff and, and you know, tell me to stop if you want me to stop or tell me to do more if you want me to do more. I think she was a kind of proactive but sort of neutral chess piece in, uh, in the hilltop thing. So, so you know, I think because she was one of the people that had found the heads on spikes, mm-hmm. like the absence of Tara, who was leading hilltop before I was sort of managing it, um, was very real, you know, I saw that death and I saw the vacant spot that she left once she was, once she was murdered. And I think, I think Yumiko would never just sort of, um, take it upon herself to step into those shoes. I think, I think it was a bit of a group effort and maybe most of the responsibility inadvertently fell on Yumiko's shoulders. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. The way I understand it is Yumiko offered, stepped up, made some suggestions. And after a while, people just started turning to her and just listening to what she said. And that's why I use the word de facto. They sort of look to you for leadership. And that makes absolutely perfect sense. And you mentioned Tara's death. Uh, when you first brought on, we also lose Jesus. What was it like losing Tom Payne and Alana Masterson? Uh, you know, Tom Payne left very soon after you came onto the show. Uh, you were there in that scene where he died. And then, of course, uh, Alana Masterson, uh, Tara with the head, and the Kingdom Massacre. What was that like? Um, awful. I mean, just really awful. <laughs> like, it's uh, it's always awful losing people on the show. Absolutely part and parcel of the show. You know that stepping on. Like, like you literally every week you're like, it could be me. Maybe it's me that dies this week. Like, it, that's absolutely a real thing. So it's not surprising, no. but it still doesn't make it like any less like painful, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so you know, Tom Payne and I went to the same drama school. Like, I knew no. Tom before. Yeah, like we like we go back quite a few years. So wow. like, yeah. So like, I I remember thinking when I joined the show, I called him. And uh, I was like, oh, this is so crazy. I'm, I'm joining the, the show that you're on. And he was like, oh, this is great. And then he died. 
and then um, and then I became really good friends with Alana, who's like the coolest person ever. We hung out a lot, you know, I have a baby, she has a baby, like we had loads of things in common. She's so much fun to be around. Then she died. Yeah. And yeah. then um, I'm also really good friends with Arvi, you know, and then Sadiq died. So I'm starting to think maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. No, sorry to break it to you, but it's been going on for 10 years. Uh, Yeah, that's just the world of the apocalypse. Now, given that Yumiko was an attorney before the apocalypse, now that they have uh, reached what, you know, we all know is the Commonwealth, is Yumiko the best candidate to step forward and meet whoever's in charge of the Commonwealth in the comic books? It's a woman by the name of Pamela Milton. I don't know mm. if that's how they're going to go on the show. I'm not asking you to reveal that or not. But is Yumiko the best person, uh, the diplomat of the group, to step up and start negotiations with this brand new community? Hmm. You know what? I'm going to say something really un-British. And I'm going to say, yes, <laughs> I think I am the right person to step up, actually. Because look at our group. You know, we've got the amazing but like really dynamic and really uh, volatile princess um, who hasn't like been with people for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's com- that could be problematic. We've yeah. got Eugene who has got so much invested in his relationship with Stephanie that, you know, he might not want to compromise or give away anything. And not only that, Eugene is an acquired taste when it comes <laughs> exactly. to talking to her. It's a strong flavor. Yeah, yeah. Like if this is our guy that we're sending to the front, right? And and I'd, and I'd also say same with the king. Like I'd say it would be between me and the king. Um, the king would be so uh, level and trustworthy and reassuring. I think to people, like it would be hard not to meet the king and be like, this guy seems like a nice guy. Come on, guys, this guy seems great. But I'm gonna put myself forward and say, yeah, like I think. I think Yumiko is absolutely the person to not be too aggressive, not be too um, uh, weird, not be too, you know, like I'm I'm a lawyer at the end of the day. I, I know how to go into a room and ask the right questions and get results. So, um, and she's got a big heart, Yumiko, and I don't think she can hide that. So I think also she, there's a there's a humanity and a warmth there, which... Hopefully, if she's meeting the right people, they'll see that goodness in her. Yeah. So, not only at, just yeah. from your group that is currently at the Commonwealth's territory, whatever you want to call it, out of everybody that we know uh, on the set, on the show, you are probably the best one to negotiate a meeting with a new group. That's That's my opinion. Now, let me ask you a question. Since these episodes have already aired... When you guys get uh, the script for a finale or the episode just before a finale, do you guys, oh my God, say, here we go, we're going to lose someone? Did it surprise you? Because I would have bet money that uh, Ezekiel was a goner in this finale. I really did. Uh, I said him and Father Gabriel are going to go out as heroes they luckily survived. I'm very happy they survived. But when it came time to read that script, do you guys know in advance uh, who's going to go, who's not going to go? Or do you have to wait and read if it's not you that's dying? 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think it's a bit of both. I think if it's you that's dying, you might get a bit more of a heads up. Um, I think if you if you haven't had the call, then you're probably thinking, well, that would be a really rough way to find out if they haven't called me and I'm reading it. You're like, page 15? <laughs> oh, what? Terrible. Um, so, yeah, you kind of you kind of get a bit of advance warning. And I feel like, I mean, like this this season... The finale, which I loved, by the way. Oh, I loved there it. Was, there wasn't like a crazy body count, though. No. I mean, like, okay, that's not entirely true. Beta, obviously, and Beatrice, but it wasn't like we all knew that Beta was going to be taken out, right? Like mm -hmm. we like that's that had to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there was really a big body count at all. In fact, that was kind of the surprise. Like it was, you know, there really wasn't that many big deaths. And in my opinion, you're right. The body count was not that big. But the gore factor was probably the most we have ever seen in any single episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah. And I had Greg Nicotero on the day after. I put together a panel of Greg Nicotero and Tom Savini, who's a horror legend. And I brought them on because that finale reminded me so much of the old original Dead movies by Romero. And I just wanted to talk to him about what he drew that inspiration after 10 years for him to decide this is the episode we're working on. Uh, it wasn't, when I say gore, I mean it in response to zombie gore, zombies tearing people yeah. apart. By far, Glenn and Abraham getting their heads bashed in is probably the most graphic episode we have seen. But when it comes to zombies, that's why I wanted to bring Greg on. And he, I was so grateful he agreed to come on. And he explained it uh, so well. Do you agree that was the goriest episode, at least that you have done while being on The Walking Dead? Yeah, I think you're right. It is. But it's so funny because obviously I, all of my stuff in that episode was really not so gory. Yeah, you know, you're we on had the, other the episode side. before. Yeah, we were, I was kind of on the other side of it, so I, I I didn't have the big, the big herd which looked like Glastonbury Festival. Do you guys know what Glastonbury is? Mm. It's like a massive music festival. It's like Coachella. I just okay. thought that big sort of swarm scene with him. I just was like, oh, it's like a music festival. This is very triggering for me. Um, but yeah, that gore and like the kind of, I mean, it was the it. Think about it. It was the finale of the Whisperers' War, right? Yeah. And the Whisperers notoriously gory the whole way through the season like notoriously kind of dark and particularly nasty with their kills and their sort of um you know skills exactly. let's say so this had to be sort of representative of finale that honored that i think you know and i thought beta's death in particular was so beautiful. whoa like it was beautiful. incredible death like incredible death um, and also just so simple and, and like kind of almost more dark in its simplicity, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, it was cool because I didn't experience that on set as an actor. I, I felt like I was in a completely different, well, I was in a completely different storyline, which is actually less to do with gore and more to do with kind of um, a mission and more to do with kind of like, you know, uh, a search party and a sort of excursion kind of thing. So when I watched the finale, I could watch all the stuff that everyone else had filmed and their side of the, of, of the storyline and just appreciate the gore as like a fan. Just, yeah. just appreciate yeah. it as an audience member. I was just like, this is amazing. You're right. It was a remarkably gory ending. It was. And truly tense. 
It was. Uh, let's take another question from another uh, viewer. Zachary Thomas John on Instagram wants to know, what were your feelings when you read the script that you were going to give a right hook to Melissa McBride? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I freaked out because I was like, it's Carol. Come on, Carol. Carol. I love Carol. She had it um, coming this season, though. Yeah. You know what? Like, that's pretty much what the writers said to me. They're like, somebody's got to, like, slap her out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, why has it got to be me? Um, but then... You know, once I'd sort of got my initial kind of like freaky, freaky deakiness out of the way, I was like, I remember I was sat in the makeup truck and Melissa walked in and I was like, Melissa, oh my God, I have to punch you. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. And she just looked at me in her very Melissa book right away and she was just like, I know this is going to be fun. And I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. She's so up for this. She's just going to like let me do what I want and she's going to be completely. 100% on board and then I thought a lot about you know why Yumiko does it and what drives her to that moment and I do think it's justified it you is. know um, I think everything that Carol had done up until that point threatened everything uh, that Yumiko held dear mm -hmm. and um, she's exasperated and desperate in that moment she's she's you know feels like she's, she's, she thinks she's lost Connie and she just has had, she's reached her limit. She's lost her home, um, her friends. And uh, at, in that moment, it's all because of this person who still can't quite get it. And mm -hmm. I just, she just lets it rip. All that up. was a hell of a right hook. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Melissa was, was like, she's just so brilliant. Like, again, that day that we shot that, she was just... She's just like one of the most incredible actors to work with. She just is like completely there for you in the scene. We shot it a bunch of different ways. She just was just like there, man, every single time. And uh, I couldn't have, I couldn't have been more supported by her, you know, and yeah. I, all of those sort of initial fears I had of like, that weren't helpful, you know, my actor fears of like, oh my gosh, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm punching Melissa McBride in the face. I was like, no, in the moment, we're serving the scene and in the moment we're serving the reason why it's happening. And I think it's, I think it is justified. Exactly. M Michael Satrazimus, who is also a guest on our show, says the hardest time he has with Melissa is to stop making her laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, she's a giggler. Yeah. She, she is. Now, um, I remember saying, I believe it was you were when you were introduced on Talking Dead, that when you got offered the part or were going flying to the U.S. for the audition, you had never watched a single episode, and you did this binge on the airplane ride over. Is that true? Well, to be fair, it wasn't the airplane ride over. I binged it once I found out I got the job. So okay. I lied to Angela in the audition. Well, I made a tape. <laughs> And they were like, oh, they really like it. Angela Kang wants to meet you. And I was like, cool. And so we set up this Skype and um, she said, oh, hey, have, you know, have you watched the show? And I went, yes, <laughs> I have obviously watched the show. I love it. You know, obviously I'm going to say yes. Anyway, and then I get the part and and then I was like, oh, I better I better get cracking. There's a lot of seasons to get through. So I watched like all of them. 
And I watched them all in a very short space of time. So it wasn't quite as short as like an airplane ride over, but I watched I watched all eight seasons in I think a week and a half. That's a hell of a binge. It really, really was. But you know what? I'd recommend it. It's oh, a it's very fun. show. It is fun. Now looking ahead two years from now. When the show does air, it the original show does air its final episode, and we're going to get these spinoffs. Uh, let me give you an orc, you know, if or or question. Now, let's say uh, in the tales of The Walking Dead, which is going to be an anthology type show, would you prefer to see if it happens a backstory just based on Yumiko, or would you prefer to see a backstory based on Yumiko and Magna? Tough one. Ooh. Controversial question. Yeah. Well, okay, let me think about this. The backstory, if it was me and Magna, would have to involve the lawyer, Mm -hmm. uh, client, what happened, how we got together, which would be cool. Like, that was, that's, that's a cool story. And I think, I think both me and Nadia are pretty, you know, uh, we, we talked about that story and like what we think happened. So that would be kind of cool to kind of dig around in there and see, and see what the writers confirm or sort of story that we've already worked out. But I would also say that I've kind of worked that out, like in my head. So if I wanted to be super adventurous, I would want to see a Yumiko backstory as much as I love Nadia to pieces. I just would, I would be so interested to see how Yumiko came to America, for example, like why she's in, why she's in America and not in London, you know, what, how she became a lawyer, why she's a lawyer in America. Like that's where, where her family is, like, like who she's searching for. That that is still something that's unexplored, and you know, as an actor, I have my own personal story, my own reasons that, you know, for, for actions and choices that I make on screen, which is just for me. I'd love to to actually hash that out in reality with writers and be like, let's like, what does that actually look like? Like, you, where did Yumiko come from? I'd love that. And that's a very interesting point. Uh, we have so many British actors on this show. Okay, Andrew Lincoln, Lauren Cohen, uh, on and on and on. Were you nervous at all that they were going to ask you to play Yumiko with an American accent? And if they did, could you do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't nervous at all. In fact, my audition was in an American accent. The scenes that I did were all in American accent. I've played a lot of... um, Are you coming up here, Kitty? You want to come on? Good to see Kitty. Come on, come and say hi. I told you. Oh, I love to see the kitty. We have so many cats on this show. Come on. They're Watch awesome. He was just there, like, licking my knee, and then she's gone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't nervous at all about doing an American accent. I used, I actually grew up in L.A., well, since when I was three months to four years old. Um, and my American accent, I think, is pretty solid. And... Uh, I was really excited about the idea of coming to do an American show and you do my American accent. And I was like, yeah. And then Angela said to me, you know what? Like we want this new group to feel really 
uh, European and kind of eclectic and from all over the shop and really something we've never seen on The Walking Dead before. And I was like, oh, man, if I get to do my big American show in my career and I have to use my own accent. Uh. So a, you have a beautiful accent and it's a treat just to hear you every week. We're almost yeah. out of time, but I do want one last question sure. uh, to ask you outside of The Walking Dead. You were in that huge blockbuster 2017 Wonder Woman, okay? What was it like moving from a big-budget movie like Wonder Woman onto a big-budget TV show like The Walking Dead? What were, like, the big differences, movie to TV, both having really lots of money behind them? Yeah, they do, right? They have a, a hell of a lot of money behind them. Um well, uh, they are very, very different creatures for me personally. Wonder Woman, I shot, um, I shot only a couple of days on that, so really minimal, actually. I mean, I know in its film world, so you know, it's different. But yeah. um, again, I had, I had what ended up in the movie was like, I think my hand is probably in the movie more than my actual face and my scene. What ended, you know. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes you get cut from things. And then I went on to do Justice League as the same character because Wonder Woman also obviously mm -hmm. appears in Justice League and there's that whole sort of like continuation of the of the characters and the stories and that. So it ended up being a huge part of my life even though the sort of product of it wasn't visible. Like it wasn't very, hi, come say hi. There he is. she is, beautiful cat. Oh, what's her name? Daisy. Daisy. Why are you being shy now? You just interrupted me and now you're being shy. Okay, come on. Um, so, yeah, so I, I ended up doing a lot of, like, training and, um, had to, you know, we had to all become Amazonian warriors for, for Wonder Woman. So it was very, um, it was a whole thing. It was a whole chunk of my life, which I spent, like, in the gym, pushing weights, doing all this stuff. And that's, like... That was a lot, and I, so much of it didn't end up on camera, which was, which was mad. Whereas with with Walking Dead, you always feel like you never have enough time. You yeah. know, like we're, we're, we're doing a script every eight days, you're against the clock, you know, you always wish you had more time or there was more light in the day to finish that scene or, um, and it's good, it works for the for the show and we get it done, but it's it's a different mechanism in TV. You know, you have to just kind of roll with it, roll with it, roll with it. And so, weirdly, I, like, I get more out of it. My, my, I get more time, even though there's no time, like, on set, like, I get more time to be me as a character, me as you. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, her, I think it's a character in the show is sort of more uh, valued, I suppose, mm -hmm. whereas, you know, no, no disrespect to Wonder Woman, but Wonder Woman's about Wonder Woman. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like Wonder Woman about Gal Gadot in 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 that outfit. Wow. <laughs> um, but like for like you know, Walking Dead is about community and group effort and. Uh, that's yeah, awesome. I get more out of. I get a lot more out. Of the That's Daddy. awesome. We're out of time, Eleanor. You have been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, Everyone on the screen so loves you. The the hearts are just flying left and right. Oh, thank you guys so much. It was so lovely to talk to you. It's really wonderful. Thank you for coming.
Yes, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, any final thoughts you want to say? Oh, I'm just so excited to get back to next season. And um, I just can't wait to see all of you fans. The next time we can see each other and hug each other, I just, I really miss it and I can't wait. We can't wait to see you as well. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing hour. I'll be back on the air tomorrow night. From Eleanor and myself, stay safe and guys, stay walking. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.